Uh, let's open our Bibles today to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. Let's go ahead and read it. We're going to take communion today. We've got a lot to cover, so I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to get right into it, okay? In Revelation 13, it says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that even he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, and the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed." He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no man may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Isn't this exciting to talk about? I'm so glad we have one shot at all of this in the, here in the book of Revelation, and, and then we get right back into the Gospels. I'm looking forward to that. But it's important for us to understand, because we're living in a very dangerous time. We're being conditioned. I don't know if you know that. We're being conditioned. We have been for several years, but there's a tide that's been building up, and it's building and building and building. And so this can't be more appropriate and applicable to what we're experiencing today. You know, I had no control, honestly, uh, over... The, 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 how, how we were going to be here at this place in the scriptures at this time. I, there's no way I could have prepared for that. It, it, it would be lunacy to even do that. You remember that when Pastor Jeff left, he had finished Hebrews, and we started right in James, and we'd just been going, plodding along, verse by verse, chapter by chapter ever since. And isn't it a coincidence? Oh, I'm sure it is. It's just a coincidence that we're here at this time in our history. I believe that there's a reason that God put this here, and the reason we're here, and I had nothing to do with it. And I love that because it's so safe just to be walking with God and letting him throttle the whole thing. I had no way of pushing it forward or holding it back. There's no way I could tell where we'd be at this time if I, if I even attempted to try and control that. So I love that about God, and I just attest that to him. So notice what it says. It says, Then I saw another beast coming up, out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. This another beast is really another beast of the same kind, the same kind as the first beast. Remember the first beast that we talked about in the first 10 verses of chapter 13 was referring to the Antichrist, this man of sin, the man of lawlessness who's going to come upon the earth shortly after the church is removed. After the church is removed, then it tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the church has to be removed and then he will be revealed. It must be that way. We are at the point now where we would be able to call him out and identify him much quicker than the world would because they have no idea who he is, his intentions, his agenda. And they think it's just, they don't even, many people don't even know it, folks. You and I have had the privilege of hearing these things in the word of God for years, some of us for 20 and 30 years or more. 
And it's all very familiar to us. It's in the, it's in the RAM. It's in RAM. It's in our <laughs> random access memory. It's here in short term, and we understand it. We don't completely understand it, but we know what's coming. But there are people who have no idea. They have no idea whatsoever. And so they are living right now with no hope. They are living in a world where they can't see and understand what's coming. You and I do. What a great Savior we have. He tells us in advance. Isn't that what a good shepherd does? He tells in advance so that we're not frightened. Because believe me, there is enough to be frightened about today. Even in the normal course of human events, things happen in our lives that scare the daylights out of us. And God tells us in advance. And why does he do that? Because he wants to prepare us so that we're not overcome and wrought with fear. Do you understand? And many people today are wrought with fear, even Christians. And yet God has told us in advance. But this other beast, this other beast, the one that we're speaking of today, verses 1 through 10 in chapter 13 talk about the first beast, the Antichrist, the man of sin. And then verses 11 through 18 speak of a second beast like the first beast, empowered by the same demon, by the same devil, Satan is controlling both of these two characters, and they are very important characters in the book of Revelation. In fact, they're the reason why things are going to such, in such a mess. It's because of Satan that there's wars and, and diseases. It's because of all, these, uh, you know, all of these racial things that are happening in the, in the world. It's because of sin. And he is the author of it. Satan is the author of it. And he is behind the Antichrist and this second beast that we're talking about today. And, and so who is this beast? He's the third member of the Trinity, of the demonic Trinity, excuse me, and he's the false prophet. In fact, there are passages in Revelation that speak of this being being the false prophet. We don't have to look very far. We can look at Revelation 16, verse 13. What does it tell us? And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, who is Satan. We already know who that is. Out of the mouth of the beast, who is the Antichrist. And out of the mouth of the false prophet. There he is. He's unveiled. He is the false prophet. That is the one that we're speaking of today. And also in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, it speaks of his demise. It says, Then the beast, the Antichrist, he was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who, do, who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. That is their ultimate end. It's called Gehenna. It's called the second death. There is no escaping that judgment, and it lasts for eternity. Right now, when people die, and if they go to heaven, they go, they're immediately with the Lord. If they go to hell, they go to this place. They don't go to this place, but they go to... Um, they go to Hades, they go to a place that's really a container, if you will, waiting for the day of the great judgment where everyone in that place will ultimately be cast into their final demise in the lake of fire. And do you think it makes God's heart glad that that is going to be? Let me tell you, he does not delight in the death of the wicked. He never has. It is better, he, he would much rather that men would, would turn from their sin and live. That is his heart. That's his character. There is no delight in the heart of God when anyone rejects him and ultimately spends eternity separated from him forever. There is nothing in the heart of God that delights in that at all. And so, even though I'm flippantly going by these things, I, sometimes I think there demands a, a pause of gravity here. Because I can get so familiar with this stuff and I forget that these are people that I love. 
hopefully none of the people that I love, but people that I love potentially are going to go ultimately to this place. How does that, what does that do inside of you? If you're like me, it tears me up. And it makes me want to be more vocal about my faith. And it's not even my faith. It's, it's the faith of Jesus. It belongs to him, and he imparted it to me. And I get the great privilege of sharing what God has done in my life. Isn't it a wonderful gift? Isn't it a wonderful thing that he's done in your life? Saving you from the pit. Isn't that amazing? And could we deserve it? We could never deserve it. It's all by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? And then finally, in Revelation 20, verse 10, what does it say? The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. Now the devil is going to be cast in there. First the false prophet and the antichrist. And then guess what? The devil gets to live for another thousand years, chained in the abyss. For a thousand years, the antichrist... The false prophet, they're already in their final doom. God's going to allow Satan a thousand years to think about it. He's powerless to do anything about it. And then finally, at the end of that thousand years, he's released from his prison for a short time, and then ultimately he will be captured and cast in there as well. And that is his final demise. That's why he's so angry. That's why he hates so greatly. That's why he doesn't care how he takes people down. He knows his doom is sure. Believe me, he knows the Bible better than any of us. He just doesn't obey it. He knows it. He quoted it to Jesus. Remember? In the temptation, in the desert, in the Judean foothills there. He knows it very well. But this false prophet is a sheep. Actually, he's a lamb. (laughs) He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He will be like a lamb, but he will speak as a dragon. What does it say to us in Matthew 7? Jesus speaking here, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Of course not. You will know them by their fruits. The things that they say, the things that they teach, the way they live, you will notice them by their fruit of their life. They can say whatever they want, and sometimes they'll even throw in a bunch of scripture and make it sound good, and then 5% will be error, and then you watch the way they live, and they got the fancy you know, planes, and they're, they're doing crack cocaine, and living lascivious lives. You know them by their fruit. They're charlatans. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus said, stay away from them. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. And John the Apostle, if you remember, in 1 John chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And this is unfortunately one of the things that they're not going to be doing in the tribulation period. They're not going to be testing the spirits, and therefore he is going to deceive the whole world. Many in the whole world, I should say. Most of the whole world, except for those who have given their heart to Christ during that time. And it's going to be very difficult to give your heart to Christ in the tribulation period. The deception and the delusion is going to be so great, folks, let me tell you, we, have, we, we know nothing about delusion and deception, but when this happens, don't think that you're so strong. And I've heard people say, well, I'll just give my, you know, I'm going to live the way I want now, and then when the church is removed, you know, then I'll give my heart to the Lord, because then I'll know it's real. That's pretty foolish. 
That's called Russian roulette. Why would you play games with your eternity? And what makes you think you've got the strength to withstand the deceptions of the devil? Believe me, if it weren't the spirit of God in us, we would all be sitting ducks. Not to overemphasize his power. He, he has no power but what God allows him to have. But unrestrained and, and without the spirit of God in us, he can mess with you like you've never believed. With your mind. It's very important that we stay in the word of God, especially now, because deceptions are, are ramping up very much so. In this verse 2, uh, verse as well, I'm sorry, in verse 10, it says that this beast is going to come up out of the earth. Some believe that this out of the earth is a reference to the land of Israel. It could be. It could be the first beast, the Antichrist, came out of the sea, the sea of humanity, it tells us, in other areas of the scripture, which could mean the the Gentile nations, which Europe certainly is representative of. But this one will come up out of the land, and we believe it could be Israel. And it could be that this man, this false prophet, it could be, could be that he might be a Jew. Because how are the Jewish people going to receive a Messiah that's not Jewish? I don't believe the Antichrist necessarily is going to be Jewish. He's probably going to be a Gentile, but this false prophet who's going to have the same power and he's going to be pointing to the Antichrist, the Jews very well could believe in him, especially if he is a Jew. And especially if he's able to call down fire, as we're going to see shortly, he's going to be able to perform miracles validating that he is perhaps Elijah that is to come that Malachi told us about. He is going to counterfeit those things that God has spoken. In other words, he won't be a mixed, uh, he won't be mixed like the beast of the sea from a variety of Gentile nations, but will probably be a Jew. And notice what it says in verse 11. Then I saw, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. When you think of two horns, you know, thank God he's only got two. The other one had 10. And what a fearsome, awesome beast that he was. Horrible. And yet this beast, it's like a lamb. You know, the other red beast looked like some kind of, have you seen pizza thrown out onto the street? It just, it's, it's like red and everything's all over. That's what the beast looked like, just a mess. And yet this guy comes along and he's a gentle little lamb. <laughs> Got two little cute little horns sticking out. Some species of lambs and sheep have horns. So he's going to look innocent and cute. Much more approachable than this ten-headed beast The first beast is the politician and the military man, the Antichrist. The second man will be the man of religion. He is going to be the one who is going to unite the world in a religious ceremonies. Notice the counterfeit of Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God, but now this one comes as a lamb with two horns. And Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 24, may have referred to both the Antichrist and the false prophet when he said, for there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh should be saved. And we've seen this verse many times, but for the election sake, those days will be shortened. Then notice what Jesus says. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ, or there, do not believe it. What does he say? For false Christs and false prophets will arise to show great signs, great miracles and wonders, to deceive, if possible, even the very elect. The elect that he's speaking about here in the tribulation period is the Jews. 
at least the Jews, perhaps unbelievers, other un- unbelieving or believing Gentile believers who received Christ during that time by some grace of God, they too will be able to, um, hopefully they, they, they won't be deceived by this, although it's going to be very intense, very intense. Notice in verse 12, and he exercises this second beast, all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Remember the Antichrist at some point in his career, in the very beginning perhaps, or in the middle of this seven-year period, is going to receive a deadly wound. He's going to die, and he's going to go to the abyss. He's going to go to hell. And in that, he is going to come up, and whether it's him, whether it's his spirit, or a demonic spirit, a very powerful demon, perhaps even Satan himself, we're not really sure, but either way, he is going to be resurrected physically with the spirit of Satan himself inside this man. And see, you and I have never experienced being around anyone like that. That's what's going to happen. And everyone is going to be, it's going to be scientifically verifiable. They're going to be able to look at it and say, this is genuine. This is the real deal. This wasn't some hocus pocus, you know, pull up the curtain and all of a sudden he's alive again, but he's really on life support. No, this is going to be a genuine death and a genuine resurrection. Everyone will believe it. They will see it and they will fear and they will reverence this beast. And so this second beast is the one uh, who's going to get all of the, the authority as that first beast And he's going to cause the earth and those who dwell in it. The earth, okay? This is not just a location specific like New York or New Jersey. It's going to be the entire world. The entire world. And and he's going to promote the worship of this beast, the Antichrist. He is the third member of this demonic trinity. And notice, he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship him. To worship the beast. You know, when I read this, it immediately brought to mind a scripture, and it was Psalm 24. If you remember, it says, the earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. Wouldn't we all agree it belongs to him by right of creation? In fact, not just the earth, but all the other, all the other planets, all the other, the whole universe, actually, he holds in the span of his hands. The earth is the Lord's, and it's all of its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. And here is a direct confrontation against that one psalm, that one verse, because now this beast, this Antichrist, causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship Jesus? No, to worship this false Christ, this Antichrist, who is not going to be so much opposed as he's going to be the one in place of. He's going to counterfeit everything he does so that, because if he outright opposed him, Initially, everyone would uh, be suspicious, but he is going to replace him, you know, and he's going to counterfeit it so people will think that he really is Jesus, that he really is the Messiah. The Lord belongs to the Lord, but for a brief time, it's going to be under Satan's control, but not for long. It's only going to be for a short time, and unfortunately, we've lived a couple thousand years, and to the Lord, that's a short time, but we've dealt with this being, this devil, for a couple thousand years, and I'm looking forward to the day when he is cast into the lake of fire, no longer to wreak havoc on a population, upon God's people, upon people, period. Satan is always desired to be worshipped. You recall, and we looked at this last week in Isaiah chapter 14, as Isaiah is talking to the king, 
He actually, in, in verse uh, 12, begins to talk about the power behind the throne, the power behind the king of Tyre, I believe it was. And notice what he says, and this is the heart of Satan. What, what is his boast? It begins in verse 13. God speaking says, Satan, you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And I love what it says. God says, oh, is that true? Verse 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to Sheol, which is hell, in your King James to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who will see you will gaze at you and consider saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house, but you are cast out of the grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain, thrust through with the sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot. Good grief, the Lord is pronouncing judgment upon this being. And it's certain, it's sure, it's going to happen. Satan has always desired worship. And just as this false prophet is going to give worship to the, fall, or to the uh, Antichrist, the beast, the first beast, he even tried to get Jesus... Satan tried to get Jesus to worship him. We looked at this last week too, but it, 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 it's good for us to look at this again. The devil takes him up into a high mountain and tells him all these things, you know, all the, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world somehow. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And nothing has really changed. His desire for worship is so great. And even if he gets it just for a short period of time, it suffices him. Can you imagine a character like that? Have you been around somebody who wants something so bad, they'll sacrifice anything and everything, even if they only have it for one moment? That is who he is. That's the mind. That's, and make no mistake, he's a very powerful individual. Very powerful. And he's a genius. He's a musician. Ezekiel 28 tells us that he was created with tablets and pipes. They were embedded in his very character, and somehow he was bringing worship before God, maybe receiving it from all of the angelic realm and then offering it before the Lord until pride was so in his heart that he wanted to receive worship. Can you imagine? I'm tired of bringing worship before God. I want to be worshipped. I deserve something out of this. And that's when he got into trouble. That's when he got into trouble. But he causes this second beast, this false prophet, causes the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast. And here is the one world religion that is going to be attempted and will at least succeed for a short time. And there has been and will continue to be a push to unite all the world's religions together. It's called ecumenism. It's called bringing everything together, putting it all under one umbrella. Everybody's happy. Aren't you glad? Let's have a, a potluck. But the problem is, is you can't unite something that's really not truly united. If, you, if, if there are elements that don't worship Jesus as God, there is no way that you can add a, an entity to that and say we're all united. It just doesn't work. 
The Christian church is the only one, like we here, are united in Christ. For those out in the fellowship hall, for those who are online, we are united. The church in America, the church in other parts of the world, we are united because we have one king, Jesus Christ, who we worship and adore and is our savior. Only through him are we united. No other way. There's no, nothing else. We're not, re, we're not united by any other thing but the blood of Christ. That is it. But there will always be a push to unite the world religions together. Do you remember in 1971, John Lennon wrote a song called Imagine. Let me read the lyrics to you. Imagine there's no countries. Isn't it, it isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday, listen to this, sorry I put the levity in there and it destroyed, the, the <laughs> destroyed exactly what I was trying to do here. Notice the one world in this song, and this is 1971, but you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions, no possessions. Imagine socialism where everything is just, nobody really owns anything. The government takes care of us. I wonder if you can, he says. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Sounds so palatable. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. I don't know his heart, but I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, this is exactly what the world wants. One world government. Or having no government. But regardless, see, the thing is, is if you have no religion, no government, you have a religion. You realize that? The absence of all those things is really what they want. And ultimately what they will get. Unfortunately, this John Lennon was the first one who made the remark, um, speaking of the Beatles in a March 1966 interview, in which he argued that the public were more infatuated with the band than with Jesus. And that Christian faith was declining to the extent that it might be outlasted by rock music. And unfortunately, he met his end. I'm not excited about that. But he's just another example of those who have pointed their finger at Christ and says, we don't need you. And the Lord just says, okay. The word of God abides forever. Everything else, not so much. Notice in verse 13, he performs great signs, great miracles, this false prophet, so that even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of man. These signs are miracles. You know, just because there's a miracle doesn't mean that the source is from God. Remember when Moses was standing before Pharaoh and he threw down his rod and it became a snake. While the magicians, those who were dabbling in the dark arts, were able to do the very same thing. So don't be surprised if the devil can do miracles too. God allows him a certain amount of latitude to do those things. But you have to look at the message behind that miracle because miracles were there to verify something that was spoken of in the bible and the prophets whenever there was a miracle it was to verify the message it was to verify the character of god himself and thus the miracle was to do that okay and that's important to remember but these um these same kinds of miracles bring, you know, calling down fire from heaven. We know that in the Old Testament we saw that with Elijah when he defeated the 450 prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18. We also saw it when God judged, when God judged Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19 or when God sent fire from heaven to consume Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10. And these, this 
calling down fire at this time is going to deceive all of those on the earth at that time. Can you imagine a bright, clear blue sky, and he's out there, and he's saying, I am the Messiah. I, I serve with the Messiah, and I'll prove it to you. There's not a cloud in the sky. You can see all the constellations. Now watch this. And he raises his hands, and a firebolt comes down from heaven out of a clear sky. Do you think the world's going to be like, dig deep in your pockets, write that check. I support you. These signs will falsely validate his power and authority, and they will deceive most. And the devil and his angels that, he rep- that represent him, they know the scriptures. They know Malachi 4, verse 5, where God says, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he might even call down fire and feign to be Elijah the prophet, even though the two witnesses, if you remember, they, they, one of those is probably going to be Elijah, we believe. At the, around this same time. But this guy is going to do the same thing. And people are going to go, I wonder who is real. Well, those guys, they died. And then they went up to heaven or went up somewhere. They were taken away. But this guy's still here. He must be the one. Because he's still here. He's right here before us. And they will believe that perhaps this false prophet will be the one. There will be great deception. In 2 Thessalonians, what does it say? Paul speaking to them says, Do you not remember when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains the Spirit of God and you and I in the Christian church, he will restrain and do so until he is taken out of the way. When we are raptured, then the floodgates are going to open. And notice verse 8. And then the lawless one, then the lawless one, who we call the first beast, the Antichrist, he will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume. And when we get to chapter 19 you're going to see it he is going to consume the lord is with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of satan notice with all power signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved and for this reason notice this is a scary part about this whole thing this is the what just kills me when people say, I'll just wait for the the rapture and I'll hang out in the tribulation. Well, look at this. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. What is that lie? Maybe the Antichrist and the false prophet. Maybe that is the lie. That people are being deceived. That all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And see, God, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 13, we don't have time to go there today, but I would encourage you just to read the first five verses of Deuteronomy 13 because God gave to Moses the telltale signs of a false prophet. The bottom line is this. If he says something's going to come to pass and it doesn't come to pass, God says, I didn't send him. But if he does come to pass, and God will even allow something to come to pass to test them, and he says this in, this in this chapter in Deuteronomy 13. He says, I might allow that false prophet for something to come to pass to see whether you're going to follow this man, this speaker who is leading you to do things that you know are wrong. 
because you have to look at the character of the man and what he's saying. If his life doesn't match up with what he's saying, you've got a, disparage, a disparaging problem to deal with. You've got a disparity you've got to deal with. Right? But he tells us who these things are. Notice, he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted. Notice, again, he was granted. He's not, uh, he's not loose. He, he's not like a, a, a wild animal that can just run through the earth of his own volition. No, he is granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. And he was granted, again, power. He was granted to give power, to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the beast the image of the beast to be killed. So here is a one world religion right in Jerusalem. You bow down or you die. That is going to be the bottom line. And, and it, it will get to that point. It's going to happen in stages. And it's going to happen out of fear. It's going to happen out of coercion financially. Pretty soon, everyone's going to be in the same little unholy huddle together. And they are going to have to face this. And it's going to be very, very real. I want to show you something, and this is an article that was uh, published on April 14th of 2019. The article of, uh, the name of the article is Playing God, Japan Temple Puts Faith in Robot Priest. And let me read to you what it says about this robot. And this is actually in Japan right now in a temple, I'll tell you about it. It says, this robot will never die, it will just keep updating itself and evolving. And this is the priest Tensha Goto. It says a 400-year-old temple in Japan is attempting to hotwire interest in Buddhism with a robotic priest it believes will change the face of the religion, despite critics comparing the android to Frankenstein's monster. The android, his name is Canon, based on the Buddhist deity of mercy, preaches sermons at the Kodaji Temple in Kyoto, and its human colleagues predict that with artificial intelligence, it could one day acquire unlimited wisdom. Quote, Tenshi, Tensho Goto, the priest, said this, this robot will never die. It will just, just keep updating and evolving. And he says that's the beauty of a robot. It can store knowledge and forever, uh, can store knowledge forever and limitlessly. Speaking of what it's made of, it says the wiring and the blinking lights fill the cranial cavity of its open top head and snake around its gender-neutral aluminum body. Okay. You can, you can visit this if you like. You can go to Kyoto and you can visit this thing and, and they're all excited about it. The priest said this. He says, young people probably won't think a temple, or I'm sorry, young people probably think a temple is a place for funerals or weddings, he said, trying to explain the disconnect with religion. He says, it might be difficult to relate to fuddy-duddy priests like me, but hopefully the robot is a fun way to bridge that gap. We want people to see the robot and think about the essence of Buddhism. One person who went to this made this comment, I felt a warmth you wouldn't feel from a regular machine, said one of those, who, one of those observers. And then the priest goes on and he denies accusations that Kodaji, recently visited by French President Emmanuel Macron, is guilty of sacrilege. Evidently, Emmanuel Macron visited this temple and this thing. And you know what? I, I, it's fruitless to try and call out who might be a antichrist or even the antichrist. But you know, keep an eye on Emmanuel Macron because he is a very, uh, very young man. He's a very, uh, uh, he's very 
uh, assertive, and he desires to be the ruler of the European Union. I don't know if you knew that. There's articles out there where he, that's his desire. He would love to be named that, and he's probably grooming himself. to. So who knows? Uh, it doesn't really matter. We're going to be out of here anyway. I don't care who it is, because we're, we're going to be out of here. But notice what else? It says, he goes on, he says, but Buddhist faith isn't about believing in God. It's about following Buddha's path. So it doesn't matter whether it is presented by a machine, a scrap of iron, or a tree. The temple insists the deity of mercy is able to transform itself at will and that an android is merely the latest incarnation. And it finally finishes and says, Artificial intelligence has developed to such an extent we thought it logical for the Buddha to transform into a robot, said Goto. We hope it will touch people's hearts and minds. There it is. The remnants of it, the, 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 the foundation of it is already there. And I've got this. You can look at it yourself. I've got the article. You know, text me or write or email. I'll send it to you. You can look at it for yourself. You can read the whole article. It's pretty interesting. But notice, he causes as many that would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And I believe there was a trial run like this in the history of Israel when they were captive in Babylon. You remember the devil had put into the heart of Nebuchadnezzar to demand worship for a, a gold image that he had set up in the plain of Dura. And Daniel 3 tells us about that. And we're not going to take the time to look at that because I want to get to something else here. But it was a forced worship, if you remember. They, they were told that they had to worship this 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 image that Nebuchadnezzar had made of gold. And if they didn't, they would be put to death. That was the deal. During the time of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, is it any shock that it's going to happen again? That was just a trial run. History is like, a lot like that. I think we're living in that right now. A trial run. See how things go. Verse 16, it says, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. You know, uh, J. Vernon McGee said, in John's day, in John the Apostle's day, soldiers were branded by their commanders, slaves were branded by their masters, and those attached to certain pagan temples were branded by the mark of the god or goddess whom they served. And so when people receive this mark, the mark of the beast, uh, they, they will be basically a slave to that master. They will basically be a slave to that master. And uh, J. Vernon McGee said this, really interesting, he says, there was a newspaper columnist who wrote an article entitled Living by the Numbers, and he deplored the fact that we have to carry so many different cards in our wallets and concluded with this paragraph, and here I quote, It would simplify matters if the government would assign each of us a single all-purpose number, which we could have tattooed across the forehead to spare us the trouble of carrying all these cards. And young people, they love tattoos. And the devil loves it that you love tattoos. Now, if you have a tattoo, does that mean you're going to be damned to hell? No, no. But what I, what I will tell you is that it's desensitizing you to receiving a mark on your body. And there will come a time where you won't even have a problem with it. It's, it's happening. I mean, it's a cool thing. It's hip, right, to get a tattoo. I even got a tattoo of Pastor Richard on my arm. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> where is he? he? He must have left, so it's probably why I'm still alive. Um, but tattoos are the in thing, and um, uh, it's another way that our culture is being desensitized. And there's going to come a time when people will, will receive this mark to buy or sell, and the young generation will be the first ones in line because they will be the most progressive, the most uneducated, 
in these things, and they will gladly stand in line, and everyone else will follow suit. And I believe that is why God forbids marks on flesh for any reason. In Leviticus chapter 19, what did God say to the Israelites? And even though this was for Israel, I also believe it's for us too. He says, you shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. God knows that a tattoo usually symbolizes ownership of somebody else upon you. He wants to be the owner of you. He created you. He has saved you. He has redeemed you. Doesn't he deserve to be the owner of you? Isn't he your master? Isn't he your savior? I know this is heavy, folks, and, you know, hang in there because, you know, these things we have to discuss. It's right here in the scripture. And unfortunately, it's happening right before our eyes. Notice that he's going to cause all, small and great, to receive in their right hand or on their foreheads. It's interesting that the right hand, because that's the right, the hand that's associated with strength and power. Not the left hand, but the right hand. That's why when it speaks of the right hand, it speaks of strength. And I think it's interesting that the very first and the very last seven judgments that God brings upon the earth that we'll look at here shortly in a few weeks. In chapter 16 of Revelation, it talks about these seven bulls, final judgments of God upon the earth. The very first bull says this, loathsome sores. It says, so the first went out, the first angel, and he poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. You know, 25 years ago, this technology didn't even exist. Seriously. The technology that we have today did not exist 25 years ago. We've all gotten so used to our cell phones and making payments, and it's very convenient. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right now, it's really convenient, honestly. But due to security and even greater convenience, and because we are slowly getting comfortable with this electronic payment system, the Antichrist will ultimately use this to his advantage when he comes on the scene. And Apple Pay and Google Pay and Square and all these uh, digital payment systems are just the beginning And whether they understand it or not, there are powers that try to push the digital dollar during the COVID breakdown. And this is why this is so interesting right now, because remember when you got those stimulus checks back in March or April? Well, I don't know if you knew this, but in March 29th of 2020, Forbes magazine published an article, and maybe many of you know about this, but it was during the coronavirus lockdown, right when uh, Congress was trying to pass a bill to get those checks into our hands, right? And it says this, I'm going to read this. It says, the crypto community was a buzz Monday night. And this is uh, the article in Forbes from March 29th. The, the crypto community was a buzz Monday night when a, a leaked draft of the economic stimulus bill proposed by Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi introduced a digital dollar, and, and this is a fact, as a way to deliver payments directly to U.S. citizens. The next day, the same language surfaced in a Senate bill introduced by Ohio Democrat Sherrod Brown, and the concept would have required the Federal Reserve's members' banks to open and maintain digital dollar wallets for all customers. The digital dollar didn't make it into the final stimulus pack, pack, uh, package passed by Congress. So the very when they tried to get it in, in, enabled the first time, they included the idea of a digital dollar because they want the world to go digital, you know, and the, the precursor for a one-world economy. They wanted to get that going, and before it was sent to uh, the Senate, they shut it down, and we still got our checks, praise the Lord. But that was taken out of the bill, And it says, the U.S. has officially 
I'm sorry, let me back up. The digital dollar didn't make it into the final stimulus package based by Congress, passed by Congress by the end of the week, but the flirtations signaled that the U.S. has officially entered an increasingly heated race between advanced projects at several central banks around the world to be the first to issue this new kind of currency, a project managed by the Hyperledger consortium called eFailer that aims to create a central bank digital currency on the Ethereum blockchain suddenly took on more prominence. And listen to this. This is a quote from one of the head guys in that organization. He said, that's a significant step, speaking of what um, the House Speaker tried, you know, wanted to get into the bill. He said, that's a significant step, and I argue that such crisis situations always produce new ideas and acceptance of new ideas that will live on long after the coronavirus has burned through the world. I think that's interesting. Very interesting. Although this may have sped up things, it would also introduce a digital platform, one step forward in our one world, one world order, a global economy, a one world economy. And maybe they didn't understand, you know, uh, maybe the Speaker of the House and her constituents, maybe they didn't really realize the full potential, or what was really behind it. They, they might not even have been aware. Maybe they were. I don't really know. It's not for me to judge. But I just find it very interesting. Very interesting. But I believe the worldwide control that is happening, even over this pandemic, is interesting. No other time in our history of the world have we had a pandemic over the whole world where it's been controlled like it is now. We're being controlled. I just find that very interesting. It's just something to think about. It's never happened before, folks. And now, entire large cities can be shut down. Economies can tank. They can do whatever they want. Thank God our faith is in Jesus, right? In fact, a Calvary Chapel churches in California are being fined between twenty-five dollars to $35,000 for not complying. I heard of this just the other day. A couple of pastors out there have been fined. If you don't comply, we're going to hit you in the pocketbook and sink you. Even if your church doesn't have any cases of coronavirus, you must submit to our authority. You know, authority is not bad. We will submit to an authority, but I think there's a line, and I think they're getting close, if not already, of crossing that line that they ought not to. I think all of us are very concerned about each other, don't you think? We're doing everything we can. We're spacing our chairs, we're wearing the masks, we're sanitizing our hands, washing our hands. And just so you guys know, one thing else that we're doing on top of all that is we're spraying the church. We've got this uh, from Purify Global down here that's one of our tenants. We've got a machine that sprays this non-toxic viral side and kills everything in 14 seconds. We spray this fellowship or this, this sanctuary, the fellowship hall, the kids' rooms, everything. We, we spray it down once a week. to help in this. But technologically, we're already there. A digital currency, it's almost ready to take center stage. It's just got to, we've got to be conditioned a little bit more for it to happen. And whether it's a 
a tattoo-like thing affixed on or just under the skin, or even a microchip implant. You won't necessarily even need your phone to make purchases. I'd like to show you a video. And let's go ahead and watch it. This is a a video of, of a gentleman in Sweden, and I think it'll speak for itself. The most cutting-edge thing about Hannes Hörblad isn't the phone in his hand. It's the microchip actually in his hand. The tiny implant is the latest advance in a biohacking technology that is steadily becoming a part of normal life in Sweden. We have created a new implant, which is not a chip, it's a full device where you can add different lights, different uh, vibration, different functions. Sweden is a very tech-literate society. And I think this is the main explanation, really, why a lot of Swedes are uh, adopting chip implants. Swedes haven't been shy about upgrading themselves with the new version. Thousands already have microchip implants that they use in their daily lives. Waving their hand to gain entrance to the gym, confirm their ID or make payments. A short moment of pain not putting them off becoming part Swede, part machine. This event is an implant party, simply where ordinary people can show up and get a microchip embedded under their skin. The biohacking movement in Sweden is hosting them all over Europe, but it's at home where they get the most willing recipients. I think it's really cool. You don't have to carry any keys or anything. It's just your body. In maybe 10 years, everything will be in your hand. In Sweden, more than anywhere else, the future is already here. The national train company Essie has around 2,600 people signed up to use microchips instead of train tickets. Did you see that? And no need to mind the generation gap. 18-year-old Felicia and father Magnus still bear the scars of their new implants. Student Hannah Herving is also freshly chipped and now just needs to program it to open doors. Although, importantly for a future career, it does already connect to her LinkedIn. Some people say I'm mad that, um, I don't know if it's safe and all that, but people have been putting these chips into animals for 20 years, so I'm not worried about that. The long-term goal is for the new chips to help provide medical care in remote communities. They're already getting under the skin of the Swedes, and may soon become just another normal part of modern life and of the human body. Paul Rees, Al Jazeera, Lund, Sweden. Pretty interesting, huh? So it's, it's all right there. It has been for, for quite a while. But I, I saw this video uh, months ago, actually, and I just stuck it in a folder knowing that we would get to here whenever we got to it. And uh, I think that's pretty interesting because, again, whether this is, um, you know, the technology already exists and whether it will be, uh, this will be part of it or whether it will pave the way further for it, the main thing is that we're being systematically desensitized, especially the young people. They, 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 they're just, I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I, I remember when I was uh, young, you know, younger, and I remember just, thanks for the, I appreciate that. I was no different. I guess I was no different, but you know what? It's it's desensitizing us. We're very well uh, up to this, and you know what? It says in that verse seventeen in our text it says, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. 
however that's going to be, whether it's a, you know, they, this may be just the first uh, iteration of it, but maybe version 2.0 is instead of getting it under the skin, that kind of bothers me, but if I can get it like a nice tattoo that's somewhat permanent, that has all the banking information, maybe uh, just under the skin, maybe, or right on top, on my, on my right hand, because it's a nice shallow area there, just like my forehead, it's real easy to scan. Maybe that will, you know, make things easier. But when the church is removed, if you are still on the earth, do not, under any circumstances, take any mark of the beast. Don't take any mark where it requires you to buy or sell, especially when it's tied to worship to this man. That's the problem. See, right now we can use Apple Pay or whatever you've got, and it doesn't bother me. I know I'm being, you know, set up for this whole thing, but, you know, it's convenient and I'm I'm using it. But I ultimately know I'm going to be out of here before this takes place. But if you're still here and your allegiance and your bread on the table, food on the table is required, you know, the, the, the chip or the mark is a requirement for that, you better run. It'd be better and safer for your family to just refuse the mark and suffer than to take the mark and be damned for eternity. Because anyone who does not have the mark of the beast, which is a sign of their worship and submission to him, will not be able to eat or buy or sell. They will be hunted down and they will be killed. And that's just part and parcel for that time. So we can see how easy it is for our cancel culture to boycott very quickly and easily uh, a person or a company and put them in financial ruin. All it takes is someone to get upset with you. If you're an owner of a company, I would encourage you to stay off social media because as soon as you make a remark that somebody doesn't like, they're going to cancel you and your company is going to be canceled. (laughs) And then the hard work that you put in for 20 or 30 years is going to go down the tubes. You'll probably recover after, you know, a year when people forget about it. But you're going to go through a lot of trouble because that's the culture we live in, unfortunately. What a nice culture we live in. I think it's a great opportunity for Christ to permeate it, don't you think? Such an ugly, ugly world. And by the time the church is raptured and the man of sin comes on the scene, the implementation of all this stuff will be easy. It's already in place. In fact, I've read some articles about banks that are already ready to throw the switch. If the Speaker of the House had her way and her constituents, it would have been an easy thing for this digital dollar to go. And let me tell you, it would have been embraced by the globalists. They would have embraced this whole thing. And finally, America is on board. Finally, we can move forward in our agenda. Ah, but it didn't happen. Notice, here is wisdom, and we'll, we'll, we'll take communion after this. Here is wisdom. Let him who has an understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. We know that six is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. We know that 666 could probably be just a reference to the demonic trinity. We know that seven is a number of perfection. Speaks of God, speaks of perfection, purity, completion, But we don't know exactly what this is going to be. And many people have taken a lot of time and wasted a lot of time trying to figure out who this person might be. And in different languages like Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, there are numbers and letters that are associated with numbers. And it's very easy to take a name or a title of a person and try to somehow fit them into this and call them 666. It happened to Caesar Nero. It happened to Adolf Hitler. It happened to Mussolini. And they may have been antichrists, but they weren't the antichrist. So we don't really know if this, if this, these, you know, 
numbers associated with letters has anything to do with what's going to happen. And it's probably very fruitless for even to go down that line and try and figure it out. Because guess what? You're not going to be here. And I love what, and we'll finish with this. J. Vernon McGee said this, and I love this. I'm not anxious to know the number of the beast, but I'm thankful I will not have to live in that period. I am very thankful today that I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Are you? Yeah, amen. I'm very thankful today that I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Instead of spending time with Antichrist, I want to know Christ. I can say with Paul that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Amen? Amen. So you know what, um, Scott, you can turn off that and turn on the lights again. You know, I want to encourage you today. You know, today is the day of salvation. If any of this stuff registers with you, I would encourage you, if there's anyone here this morning that has not given their heart to Christ, please don't leave today without giving your heart to him. You must give your heart to Christ. He is the only solution. He's the only one who loves you. These things are pretty dark. These things are pretty disturbing, but folks, we live in a time unlike J. Vernon McGee and even some of the other pastors and teachers years and years ago. We live in a time where it is literally at the door. I think I proved that, and we could have gone on with that, but those are just two examples. We're being conditioned. We're being desensitized. Everything is in place. All it takes is all of you to get online with it. And I would encourage you not to. We have to fight it because we know the end of it. While we are still on this earth, we have to fight for righteousness. We have to fight for Christ. We don't have to fight with guns and knives. We fight on our knees. We get on our knees and we pray. That's how we fight this thing. That's how we fight evil. That's how we fight unrighteousness. In our own selves, we get on our knees and we fight in battle. Our battle is not physical, it's spiritual. The bringing down of strongholds. Amen? And so don't get in your mind that you've got to go out and, you know, hold, you know, and be a militia. No. You need to, we need the church. We need to pray. More than ever before, we need to pray. We need to pray. Come out on Tuesday nights. Pray with us. Please, I beg you. Seven o'clock, we're here. Spend a half hour and then leave if you have to. Come for 15 minutes. Leave if you have to. There's no right or wrong about it. Just come. Come. There's plenty of room out in that fellowship hall. We can socially distance. It's just fine. But please come out. We must pray. We are at the, at the, at the cusp of a lot of serious things happening in our country. We're at a lot of serious things happening in the world. And folks, we cannot lay down and die. The devil, when COVID came out, he wanted to destroy the church. He wanted us to lay down our arms. He wanted, when I say arms, I meant not physical arms. He wanted us to lay down our faith and just say, you know what, we're washed up. We're just going to obey and close the doors in the church. And it was that way for three months. And I tell you, that was the hardest moment of my life when those doors were closed. Was it hard for you? Is church important? Is it essential? I think it is. I think it's more essential than anything else in our culture. Even more than gyms. And I don't have a problem with a gym opening up. I think they should be allowed to do that and take care of themselves and do what they got to do. But church is essential. Jesus is essential. Our faith is essential. What we're doing right now is essential. 
Jesus said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. It is essential, folks, that we do this. This is how we are built up. This is how we are encouraged. This is how we are encouraged to go out and share that truth with others. We mustn't give it up. We mustn't lay it down and say, we're done. We're done fighting. Believe me, it's, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Believe me. But we cannot lay down. We mustn't lay down. We must fight on our knees and be prayerful. Be prayerful. The Lord loves you. He loves me. And you know, as long as we're here on this earth, we got to be good stewards of it, don't you think? Isn't that what he told Adam in the garden? Be fruitful, multiply, have dominion over the earth. That means take care of it. This is yours. Until I come, Jesus would say, you take care of it. You pray and you look for my return. And that's what we do. We gotta abide, we gotta take care of things until he comes. We gotta fight to the very end, and then when the church is removed, they can have it all they want. But until then, you fight. And why do you fight? You fight for righteousness, and you fight for your kids. You fight for your grandkids, because believe me, they're inheriting a world unlike anything that all of us have gone through when we were their age. They're inheriting a mess. They're inheriting a bumper crop of sinful choices. Man at his best. But if that message has stirred you, I would encourage you, please, come up afterwards. You don't have to come up. Give your heart to Christ. Confess your sin. Confess that you are a sinner. Confess that you've sinned against God and then receive him as your Savior, as your Lord, into your heart. Do not leave here until that is done. The world is rapidly winding down. There is no time left. You must come to Christ. If you want to come up and pray, I'd be glad to pray with you. But please don't waste that opportunity. You may never get it again. We may never get it again.